Well, great to have you here today to worship together, to look to the Word of God. Children, we are dismissed as they head on over to the next door. I apologize as I was getting things ready here today. I um, was thinking that the children might be in the service, and so there are some things that were meant for them. <laughs> And I really have a hard time extracting them. So we're going to go ahead and just leave them in there. <laughs> and, just, uh, and just keep on going with that part. But how do we go from a place of having faith in God's Word to us doubting that it came from God at all? Have you ever had a word that God spoke to you? And you knew it was God, you believed it was God. And then down the road, maybe a day, a week, whatever time later, all of a sudden... You're not even sure if God spoke to you about that at all. How did you go from a place of knowing that God spoke to you to not being sure if He said anything to you at all? How do we go from a place of knowing that God healed us to a place where I'm not sure if I ever was healed? How do we get to that place? Because I know that many, many here have. Well, see, sometimes we as Christians, we lose our, our focus. Our focus changed from the territory that God gave us to operate in to one that we're driven to because of doubt and unbelief. So this morning we're going to look at how we overcome that. Last week we began to look at, at Moses and some of the things that went on with his call, how he kind of just gave up on it. But God had called him to be the deliverer but he set off in a, in a direction that was not a direction of the deliverer. But as one person put it, we saw in the Word, he was a prince and a judge. God didn't call him to be a prince and a judge. God called him to be, to be a deliverer. Now see, when you have a call from God, if the devil can't get you to not pursue it, then the best thing he can do is to get you to pursue something that's similar but not the same thing. And then we get discouraged because as we try and accomplish those things, we're not doing, we're not having the success that we thought that we would. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in Exodus, chapter 4, verse 18. If you weren't here last week, you can go up online, you can watch the Facebook video, you can listen to the podcast. None of it will cost you anything, just going up there and you can get those things. And if anyone here is not sure what podcasting is, we have people that will help you out with that. Take advantage of them. Let me know as you're on your way out. Let Keith know. We'll, we'll get you set up with somebody who can, who can help you with that. Because podcasting is great. It's a good way to hear the Word of God all through the week. Verse 18, Exodus 4. Moses had his experience with God on the, on the mountain with the burning bush. And so he's got rid of all his excuses before God. And so he's decided, all right, we're going to go ahead and do this. We're going to go. So in verse 18 it says, So Moses went and returned to Jethro his father-in-law and said to him, Please let me go and return to my brethren who are in Egypt and see whether they are still alive. And Jethro said to Moses, Go in peace. And the Lord said to Moses in Midian, Go return to Egypt for all the men who sought your life are dead. Then Moses took his wife, his sons, and set them on a donkey, and he returned to the land of Egypt. And Moses took the rod of God in his hand. 
So the things that Moses takes with him as he's on his way, he takes his wife, he takes his sons, he takes the rod of God, and most importantly, he takes the words of God. He took the words that God spoke to him. Whenever you go on a journey, you've got to make sure that if God spoke words to you, you take them with you. Make sure you keep them there. God said certain things. God said something. And we've got to make sure that we hang on to those things and don't let them go. But hold on to those things that, that God calls, or God has said to us, because God knows that they're important for the journey. If you are going to go and to do, accomplish something for God, the words He spoke to you are vital. The enemy wants you to just kind of put them aside, not really think a whole lot about them. But it's something that he had to go out here with. Now it seems that Moses went and returned to his father-in-law. And while he's all excited, he says to his father-in-law, you know, I need to go and return my brother in Egypt. I had this experience up there in the mountain. This, bird, this probably told him about the whole burning bush thing. And Jethro th- thinks, man, I can't stand in the way of God. Go ahead and go. But it seems that there was a delay. That Moses didn't go right away. Because God had to come and tell him again. And then he, he got up and he went. Now, I don't know what exactly the delay was, but we do get a hint of what it might be in the verses that come. Verse 21, And the Lord said to Moses, When you go back to Egypt, see that you do all these wonders before Pharaoh, which I have put in your hand, but I will harden his heart so that he will not let the people go. Now, we've talked about this before in, in the, the Hebrew mind. If God does not prevent something, God did it. And so when you see this, God, I will harden his heart, it's not God actively hardened his heart because if God were to come in and harden someone's heart, how can God blame them for a hard heart? But they had gone in a direction to, to take that path and there's a point at which God put all the stops out. And if we went, I'm not sure that we're going through all the all of the plagues, but there's this point in there where God says, all right, that's it. I've actually been working on him to, to help soften his heart, but now I'm pulling all that off. And now he can get as hard as he wants. But I don't know if we'll get that far and what purpose we have for going through here. Verse 22, Then you shall say to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, Israel is my son, my firstborn. So I say to you, Let my son go, that he may serve me. But if you refuse to let him go... Indeed, I will kill your son, your firstborn. Now, what God has just done is he has fast-forwarded all the way through the plagues to the end. Which means God knows what's going to, what it's going to take for Pharaoh to let these people go. And he gives them warning. If you do not let these people go, I will kill your son, your firstborn, because Israel is my son. Now, Pharaoh may not believe that, but God's letting them know this is how I see it. Now, if you want to you wanna duke it out, we can duke it out. But you will lose. Pharaoh didn't think that he would because Pharaoh saw himself as a god. Verse 24. And it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met him and sought to kill him. Does that seem to you an odd verse? Who sent him on this journey? The Lord did. It would seem that Moses had enough favor of the Lord to have a burning bush experience. And now he is obeying God. He's on the journey. He is going to Egypt. And what's God want to do? Wants to kill him. I mean, that just doesn't seem right. Why would God do that? Then Zipporah, 
took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. So he let him go. Then she said, You are a husband of blood because of the circumcision. Now you can get from this that Zipporah is not happy. They left with his sons, but it says here that she cut the foreskin off her son. Singular. So I'm not sure exactly why that would be. Why it was just that, I would assume it was Gershon, the, the oldest, but, um, uh, not, not particularly told. So what we have here is that Moses has a son and he is of Hebrew descendant. He was born into a Hebrew house. And how many, how many months old was he? He was several months old. He was a couple months old before they put him into the basket and then sent him off, right? What day are you supposed to be circumcised? On the eighth day. If you were not here on Wednesday, we talked about the eighth day and how important the eighth day is. Eighth day is extremely important in the Word of God. We will see you all later. <laughs> uh, eighth day is very important to the, to the Word of God. Mm. Thank you for that. She's always good with hugs. <laughs> if the eighth, if you don't know exactly what the eighth day is and why it's important, go back over there and get the uh, get the last Wednesday. And uh, we went through the book of Leviticus to show you what why the eighth day was important and how that ties into the ministry of Jesus after the resurrection. There are some things that will that will help you out with that. Not going to spend all that time here. But um, uh, it was important enough that I spent many, many hours going through a whole lot of lectures and a whole lot of things on the Jewish Levitical law so that I had it right for you all. So at least you can do is take half hour and and check it out and see if it's any good for you. But anyway, what we can tell from these few verses of Scripture here is that Moses is circumcised. Midianites are not. The Midian people don't believe in circumcision. In fact, they think it is a detestable practice. So you have Zipporah marrying Moses. They have a son. What does Moses say we're going to do on the eighth day? And Zipporah says, uh-uh. Now, have you ever been in a household where the husband says, I want to do this, and the wife says, I want to do this? So you can imagine how that went. Now, here's the thing. We don't really have to do a whole lot of imagination. We're not told what happened in this, but we don't have a whole lot of imagination needed to figure this out. Moses backed down. This is a sign of the covenant between the Hebrew people and God was the circumcision. They were not the only race of people that circumcised their sons. I believe the Egyptians did as well. There may have been some others. But the Midianites did not. So they had this battle over whether he would be circumcised. And Moses decided to back down. For whatever the reason. But then they get out there on the wilderness and God says, wait a minute, you are going to embark on fulfilling the call, bringing your son along, and you have not made him 
circumcised to show he, that he is uh, part of the covenant. And God was mad with him for doing so. So Moses apparently knew that he should have done this before he left. Maybe God said something to him in the burning bush. Maybe he spoke to him in his... I don't know when that all happened, but somewhere it occurred and Moses said, I'm not going through this with my wife. <laughs> and so he leaves and so now he's, he's going to face God. And he's about to lose that battle. And somehow it becomes apparent to Zipporah that if she does not circumcise her son, now there's going to be trouble. Now, it's one thing to circumcise a son at eight days old. How old do you think this son is now? Now, keep in mind, Moses came to the land of Midian at 40, met his wife, married her, it seems, shortly after that, and is now 40 years later. So how old do you think that son is? Well, he's no eight days old. He's not a month old. He's certainly not a year old. He's a lot older. So what would you think if your mom came up? Now, he's not going to do it himself. But there's, there's a whole lot of this story that is left out of the Bible. We'll have to wait for the videotape to see what all, what all happened here on this, uh, this wilderness experience. But anyway, Zipporah does this, but she is not happy about it. Now, can you wives ever think of a time when you did something that your husband wanted, you didn't want to, and you weren't happy about it the whole time? What happened in the days after? Well, it seems as a possibility somewhere along here, Moses and his wife split. And she took the boys. Most people assume that it's, a, it's this incident that did it. And she turned around and went home. It could also be that Moses thought, well, with, a, with one or, or two circumcised boys going into the Egyptian, that may not be a, a good thing to be doing. And he may have sent them home. Or she may have just got mad and said, that's it. I'm tired of your God, tired of you, and just left. Don't know, but we know that after all the stuff went on with, with Egypt, Jethro came down and brought her and the boys with him. And the boys do eventually get into some kind of service with the, with the temple because they are Levites. But they, are, they become nothing significant. Can you imagine Moses having two sons, at least two sons, and they become nothing of significance? They're mentioned a few times in the Bible, but uh, they have no real, no real great role. Seems uh, odd to me, but it could be that maybe the mom had more of a role than he did. So Moses fails to obey the covenant and God is ready to kill him for it. Now think of this from God's standpoint. You called this guy for, uh, uh, well, 40 years before you needed him. And he got into disobedience and it delayed it, delayed it even more. But God called him. God prepared him. God did all those miracles to, to keep him safe, put him in the palace, raised him up, had him all ready to go. And then God's ready to kill him. We'll just start with somebody else. Don't ever think that you are invaluable, so invaluable to God that he can't do without you. Because if he could do without Moses and just decide, you know what, Moses? 
If you're not going to obey, I don't need you. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty telling right there. Just know God can do without us too. Well, verse 27, And the Lord said to Aaron, Go into the wilderness to meet Moses. Now, we talked a little bit about this last time, but that's, that is quite a statement right there because as far as we know, he is still a slave. So if you're a slave in with the Egyptians and they got swords and chariots and horses all around you and you got sandals. That's it. I mean, how are you going to get away? But God said to him, I want you to go into the wilderness and meet Moses. So he goes. There's no telegraph. There's no phone call. There's no email. He just knew he's supposed to go in and meet Moses. How long ago did Moses leave? Forty years. Forty years and Moses is on his way and God tells Aaron and Aaron listens and hears and, and makes the move. Quite a, quite a feat. So he went and met him on the mountain of God and kissed him. Now can you... Can you imagine this? No GPS, no text messaging, no, no cell phones, and you're going to leave Egypt for a guy who left Midian, and you're going to meet somewhere. Well, you're not going to talk about it. You're not going to tell anybody. That's, um, that, is, that is quite the feat to be able to accomplish. Lester Sumrall, I think I've told you this story before, but for those who didn't hear it, I'll tell you it again. Lester Sumrall, when he was going to get hooked up and connected with uh, his, uh, his, uh, his mentor, who was going to help him in a, in a lot of things. Um, oh, his name just slipped my mind. I forgot who his name was. Um, what was you remember? Howard Carter. That was our guy. He was going to meet up. They were in a meeting, and Howard Carter said some things in the meeting, and it came along with some of the things that uh, Brother Lester was praying, and and um, anyway, he heard some words that Brother Lester said that were right in line with what he was looking for. And so he said, uh, I need to go on home and get some things settled, but I will connect with you and we'll, we'll go. So Howard Carter left and he said, meet me over in, um, um, I, I forget which, which country, was it? Maybe, maybe it was supposed to be in Africa. So it was supposed to be a meet in my country. And so he went over to the coast and he booked passage on a boat to uh, go over to there. And in his spirit, it wasn't settled right. It wasn't right. And he didn't get any peace on it. So he just, he just canceled the, the fare and he said, God, what am I supposed to do? I'm supposed to meet up with this Howard Carter fella. And the only thing that came up in the spirit was go to the bottom of the world. Bottom of the world. Well, that's Australia. That's what came to mind. God didn't say Australia, but that's what he kind of put together. And so he booked passage on a boat to go to Australia. Now, in the meantime, Howard Carter was supposed to be in Africa, the one country, and got diverted. And he was now in Australia. And he's having a prayer session with God. God, where's this man that you were supposed to send me to be, to be a helper? <laughs> now, my thought is, if I was supposed to be in Africa, and I ended up in Australia... Um, I'm not asking God where he is. I moved. <laughs> I mean, to me, that's, I moved. I went to a different place. He went to where I told him to go. But that's not Howard Carter. Howard Carter says, God, where is this guy? And so God told him what to do. He said, send somebody over to this house. And so Howard Carter sent a, a gentleman over to this particular house. And 
uh, Lester Summerall lands on the shores and he says, what am I supposed to do? I am landing in the country. No one knows I'm coming. No one knows I'm here. I'm supposed to meet somebody that I don't even know is in this country. He says, God, what am I supposed to do? So he didn't have any leading in his spirit what to do. So he started walking around the, the streets and he says, is there a church around where the people worship Jesus like this? And so he finally found somebody who says, yeah, yeah, right on down over there, there's a church. And they worship God like that. And so he went on over there and he saw there was a house connected to the property. That was figured that was the parsonage and that would be where the pastor is. And so he goes over and he knocks on the door of the parsonage. And he says, this big old guy, he, he answers the door and he says, hello, you must be Lester Sumrall. Howard Carter sent me to meet you. Now, would that blow your doors off? I mean, what a way to get started with somebody in ministry. <laughs> but, see, God can do stuff like that. Just though it's not a big surprise, the guy could say, Aaron, I want you to go out in the wilderness and meet Moses, and God just bring them together. This isn't the first first time probably he did it, and it wasn't the last time that he did it. And just know that God can lead you like that as well. Even if you don't have a cell phone. So Moses told Aaron all the words of the Lord who had sent him and all the signs which he had commanded him. Then Moses and Aaron went and gathered together all the elders of the children of Israel. And Aaron spoke all the words which the Lord had spoken to Moses. Then he did the signs in the sight of the people. Now, if you're Aaron and you just escaped being a slave to meet up with Moses and Moses says, hey, we're going back to Egypt. Anybody putting up an argument? Anybody saying, do, do we really want to go back to Egypt? I don't think I want to go back there. But he, as far as we know from the word, there's no argument. He just says, okay, let's go. Now look at this. This is a real important verse. Make sure you get this. Verse 31. So the people believed, and when they heard that the Lord had visited the children of Israel, and that he had looked on their affliction, then they bowed their heads and worshipped. So Moses come, he speaks the words that he heard on the mountain at the burning bush. He believed them and he acted on them. He tells them to Aaron. Aaron believes them and he acted on them by going to Egypt. And then they all come over there into, they gather all the the heads, all the leaders, and they tell them, and what does it say about them? It says that they believed. They believed the words. What were the words? God has come. I am going to show myself strong to Pharaoh with signs and wonders. And I will lead you out of this land, of this place of slavery, and I'm going to lead you into a promised land. The time has come. And the deliverer is here. And they believed it. Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh... Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast to me in the wilderness. And Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord, that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, nor will I let Israel go. Now really, you can't fault Pharaoh for this. I mean, he doesn't know God. If somebody showed up in your house, and said, God so-and-so said, give me your house. How many of you say, well, if God so-and-so said it, 
How many of you are going to do that? No. Who is this God? Who are you? This is my house. Get out. <laughs> You'd have probably the same reaction that Pharaoh does. And Moses even said, Who am I going to say that sent me? That Pharaoh would listen. So Pharaoh said, I mean, it's not an unusual response. I don't know this God. I serve a lot of gods, but I don't know this one. And since I don't know this one, I'm not going to send my workforce out. He's got two to four million workers, as he looks at them. They're slaves. And they get whatever they want out of them. Uh, we're not just giving them up. No, this is a, he considered this to be an asset in his country. And God says, they're not your asset, they're mine. Let them go. So Moses' words are questioned. They're not received. The children of Israel, the leaders there, they received them. But Pharaoh did not. So they said, the God of Hebrews has met with us. Please let us go three days journey into the desert and sacrifice to the Lord our God, lest he fall upon us with pestilence or with sword. Now this is probably him just speaking in a language that Pharaoh would understand because they understand that if you don't serve a God or make a God happy or do what a God wants you to do, then pestilence and uh, bad stuff will come. God never said anything about that, but this is a language that they can understand. If you were to come there and you were to say actually what God said, God has said that he's going to lead us through the wilderness into a promised land. What land is that? Well, that would be the land of Canaan, the place with all the giants. You guys are going out there with all the giants. Yeah, we're going to take over the land. How are you going to do that? Well, we're going to kick all those people out going to knock down the cities, wipe out all the giants, and then we're just going to take... How are you going to do that? He would be questioning all this sort of stuff. So there's no sense in, in talking about all that. Sometimes God has spoken words to us and we're out there trying to debate it with the world. They can't understand it. Don't worry about it. So Moses tells them this. Uh, we need to go out and we need to worship our God because, you, as you know, you don't do what God says. You know, bad things can happen. Then the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people from their work? Get back to your labor. And Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are many now and you make them rest from their labor. So the same day Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their officers saying, you shall no longer give the people straw to make brick as before. Let them go and gather straw for themselves and you shall lay on them the quota of bricks which they made before you shall not reduce it for they are idle. Therefore they cry out, saying, Let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men, that they may labor in it, and let them not regard false words. Can you imagine having a workforce the size of Israel, an entire nation? And their primary job, I don't know if it's their only job, but their primary job is to make bricks. How much are you building that you need something that two to four million people making bricks seven days a week. In fact, you saw it as so important that you even supplied the straw so that they could make the bricks. This pharaoh, he's building a lot of stuff. He needs a lot of bricks. So that's what he employs them to do. At least that seems to be the main thing. That's the only thing that's brought up here as far as their responsibilities. So he says, well, since they have all this time to talk about becoming unionized, making demands, 
Well, they got too much time on their hands. So uh, let's do this. We'll just fill up that time. So now you got to find your own straw. He says, they're, well, they're idle. They cry out saying, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Let more work be laid on the men that they may labor in it and let them not regard false words. He is calling the words of Moses false. Now Moses is speaking for God. So Pharaoh, without any knowledge of who this God is, has called his words false. Because he didn't agree with it and didn't like it. And doesn't want to comply with what they're, what's going on. But he calls the words false. They're listening to false words. Now I put this in your outline for you. Just because you have a word from God, even one with signs. Moses had a word from God. There were signs. There was the signs of the burning bush. There was the sign of the serpent. The sign of the leper's hand. There was the sign of the blood. The water to blood. Just because you have a word from God, even one with signs, doesn't mean the enemy just backs down. How many times do we think, I got a word from God. God told me to do this. And because God told me to do this, do this the devil and all his forces, all his kingdom, they're just going to back down. Oh, well, if God told you to do that. <laughs> Who are we to stop you? Because God told you to do that. I didn't realize God told you to do that. I would never have, have said those things. That's ridiculous. We know that, the, that Satan, if God has said something, he rises up to say something else. What did he do back in the garden? God said, eat from any tree in the garden that you want. But of the tree in the center of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. That was God's word. So what does the devil come and do? Oh, they got God's word. Let's come against it. Let's attack it. Has God really said? Just because you have a word from God, even one with signs, doesn't mean the enemy just backs down. You have to be ready for a fight. If you are not ready for a fight, you will lose. Just the mere presence of the Word of God, whether He spoke something specific to you or you have something from His Word, the mere presence of the Word of God does not put the enemy to flight. There's something that you have to do with it. Now, they're in for a fight here. Pharaoh says, I'm not, I'm not going along with this. We're not doing this kind of a thing. There's no way. We're going to put more work on you. In fact, it's going to be harder for you. He says, get back to your work. And when he says that, they're actually worse off than they were before because now they have to do all the work they had to do before plus they've got to go out there and find the straw. So they've got more work to do. So verse 10, And the taskmasters of the people and their officers went out and spoke to the people, saying, Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. Go get straw yourself straw where you can find it, yet none of your work will be reduced. So the people were scattered abroad throughout all the land of Egypt, 
to gather stubble instead of straw. They're not even getting the full straw thing. They're getting little pieces of it. And they have to make brick out of it. And the taskmasters forced them to hurry, saying, Fulfill your work, your daily quota, as when there was straw. Also, the officers of the children of Israel, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters had set over them, were beaten and were asked, Why have you not fulfilled your task in making brick, both yesterday and today as before? Then the officers of the children of Israel came and cried out to Pharaoh, saying, Why are you dealing thus with your servants? There is no straw given to your servants, and they say to us, Make brick, and indeed your servants are beaten. But the fault is in your own people. So they've determined this. Everything got tougher for us. It must be that Pharaoh doesn't know what's going on. If Pharaoh understood what was happening, he wouldn't be so mad with us. So if we get to Pharaoh, we can tell him, and he'll tell these these taskmasters to lay off, or to get a straw, or something. He doesn't know what's going on. Verse 17, But he said, You are idle. Idle! Therefore you say, Let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Therefore go now and work, for no straw shall be given you, yet you shall deliver the quota of bricks. And the officers of the children of Israel saw that they were in trouble after it was said, you shall not, you shall not reduce any bricks from your daily quota. So they had put all their faith, once this trouble started, they put all their faith in the fact that Pharaoh doesn't know. So if we go and alert him, our problems will be over. They really don't understand was that this all started with Pharaoh. And so once they presented this to Pharaoh, now they're afraid. And fear comes upon them. They said, man, we are in trouble. I thought we had a way out. But we don't. So they had the word from Moses. They believed that word from Moses. Then they set out. Moses goes to Pharaoh. And Pharaoh makes life miserable for them. Not like it was all that great before. The life of a slave is not a great life at all. They were beaten whenever they they wanted to. Forced to work, not paid. Verse uh, 20. Then as they came out from Pharaoh, they met Moses and Aaron who stood there to meet them. And they said to them, Let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. So they came on down and, well, they needed somebody to blame. There's there's somebody who's at fault here. And they bring the Lord in on it. Let the Lord look on you and judge because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. Well, they loved you so much before. Right? I mean, life was so good before Moses came along as a slave in Egypt. It was just It was just wonderful. I mean, we had... Nice plush carpeting in our houses. We had a, just a six-day work week. Only had to work eight hours a day. They paid us nicely. Our bank accounts looked real good. Gave us food. Protection. I mean, it was good. No, they, they didn't treat them well. So they come out and they see Moses and Aaron. Just happen to see Moses and Aaron as they're coming out from Pharaoh. And they put the blame on them. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Why is it you have sent me? 
For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. So, Moses hears what the people say and he gets upset with God. See, the people came out from, from the presence of Pharaoh and they sowed complaints into Moses. And so then Moses came out from there having received the complaints and they took root in him. He goes to God and he gives him some complaints. So the complaints of the children of Israel sowed into Moses multiplied. They took root in Moses. And then Moses went on to God and complained. But God hasn't, hasn't faltered from his word at all. But now, the children of Israel once believed the words that Moses spoke. But now they don't. And Moses believed the words that God spoke to him. But now he doesn't. Something has changed. See, something else came in, came in instead. I put in your outline, I think it's in there anyway. Fear and anxiety moved in. Fear is because of things present, things that are around us. Anxiety because of things future that we anticipate. Now this is what I put in your outline. I want to make sure you got it. When fear and anxiety set in. I'm sorry, when fear... When fear and anxiety set the sights, we will always be off target. If you're going to set the sight of your faith onto something and you let fear and anxiety take over, you will always be off target. No, I didn't, I didn't see this. I heard about it. Maybe some of you all saw it. I don't really have any intention to to, to watch this, but uh, I heard that uh, during one of the first baseball games, as they got it started to an empty stadium, that um, uh, the the guy Fauci, Doctor Fauci or whatever his his name, I heard he threw out the first pitch and missed by what was it? I heard six feet. I heard fifteen feet. He heard he missed by a bunch. Didn't hit the target at all. He missed. Now, I'm not quite sure how you throw the baseball and go that far off. But he did. I thought, at first I heard it and I thought he just fell short. And then it was corrected to me. He said, no, he didn't fall short. He threw it off to the side. He just was, was way on off. And uh, now he's not a baseball player, but you know, most guys when we're growing up, we do throw the ball around. You know, they had that saying, you throw like a girl. Well, girls don't always throw the ball around as much as the guys do. But there are girls that throw the ball around, and those girls can throw that ball good. If you ever watch women's softball, I mean, those, 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 those guys can throw the ball. I've seen some of that, that go on. So it's not that women can't throw the ball, it's just they don't throw it as much. But, you know, you're a guy, you, you grow up, you throw around a ball, you just get used to, to throwing the ball. It's, it's hard for me to have a ball in my hand and not want to throw it. It's, and I, I never played baseball. But if you put a baseball in my hand, every thought in my mind is, I'm going to throw this thing. Where can, I, where can I throw it? And if I'm going to throw it, I want to hit something. I don't want to just throw it. I want a tree. 
I want, I want something to hit so that I know when I, when I aim and I throw it that I hit it. That's just, you're just, I'm just wired that way. You give me any kind of football. You give me a frisbee. I am going to throw it at something. That's just what we do. Girls, gals, don't, don't matter. If, if you grow up throwing stuff, when you get something in your hand, you want to throw it. You know, you go down to the river and you get a rock. What do you want to do with it? You want to throw it in the river. Well, you don't just throw it generally into the river. You throw it at something. Well, there's a log over there. I'm going to try and hit that log. Or if it's a nice flat stone. How many of you know, how many of you know what to do with a flat stone when you hit a river? You don't just throw it. You skip it. And then you're counting. How many skips can we get? You know, nine, ten, twelve. How many skips can we get? I've seen as many as uh, 25. And, you know, you feel real good at it. Accomplishes nothing. Doesn't really do anything for you at all. But, if you let fear and anxiety set the sights, you will always be off target. Now, remember the story of the storm with the disciples. They heard the words of Jesus. Let us go to the other side. That's the word. That's the direction, right? Our direction is set by the words of Jesus. Let us go to the other side. The disciples get in the boat. Jesus goes to sleep. They get in the boat. What are they thinking? We're going to the other side. Where do they set their sights on? To the other side. They have faith to go to the other side because... But Jesus said it. We've done this a mess of times. We get in the boat. We sail across the, across the lake. And we get to the other side. It's a big lake. It's known for storms, but they can still get there. And so as they get into the middle of the lake, we know the storm rises up. And when the storm came up, the waves started coming in the boat. They started bailing the waves out. And the, the boat started to sink. Started to go down. And then they heard other words that came in. We know what some of those words were, even though they're not recorded in history in the in the Bible. Some of those words are You're going down. How many of y'all know they heard that? We are going to sink. They also heard this. Apparently Jesus doesn't care. He's asleep. Why is he not out here helping you? And so they come over to Jesus, they roused him very uh, roughly. Jesus, Master. Don't you care that we are perishing? And the whole time, they're over there, they're battling the water in the boat. They're battling the waves. They're being tossed about by the wind. They're, they're taking every bit of their effort and they are fighting this thing. And Jesus comes up. And how many buckets does Jesus bail out of the boat? He doesn't do any of that, does he? Because you see, he is still focused by faith. They have become focused by fear and anxiety. And so they're off their target. They're fighting the wrong thing. Jesus gets up in the bow of the boat and he says, speaks to the wind. And he speaks to the waves. A great calm comes over the the lake, and he turns to them. Where is your faith? Why do you doubt? 
these things came in. He did not expect them to come in. But you see, they had a change. They initially started out. God spoke words to them. We're going to the other side. But then they changed and they focused on the words that the devil spoke to them. I've heard a few ministers. I'm, I've been going back listening to some old stuff because I'm not always content with the new stuff. It seems like too many ministers you listen to anymore. They, they spent two minutes reading the Word and 60 minutes on everything else. I'm not in the Word. I don't like it. I want to hear the Word. But you go back to some of these old old guys, and most of them are dead now, but you listen to them, and they're in the Word. I like it. But that's what we need to, that's what we need to hear. There's a, um, we gotta hear what the Word of God says. We gotta keep our focus on it. The enemy's purpose is to get you off focus from what God has said. Now, as I told you, we brought over one of our kid examples. I'm gonna still bring it on out here. Now, is this cup full or empty? Do you check for me? <laughs> She's pretty confident it was empty, wasn't it? I didn't even think there was that little bit of water in there. <laughs> this cup is not empty. There is air in it. This cup will not be empty by itself. It's just filled with different things. Right now, it's filled with air. If I turn it upside down, does the air come out? No, air does not come out. Air stays in there. There's always air in there. Now, you can get real fancy, and you can put a nice air uh, tight top on there and get some kind of a suction thing and try and suck it all out. Of course, this cup won't hold up, and that is just going to crumple. But if you want to get the air out, there's a real simple way to get the air out. Put something else in it. If you put something else in it, the air has to go. Because the air cannot occupy the place where the water is. Now, if you are in the business of trying to have air in cups, then what you need to do is to get the water out of the cup. Because if you get the water out of the cup, what goes back in the cup? Air. Air. And you go right back on in there. So if you wanted to empty this cup, but I wanted this cup to stay full, what are you going to try and do? Aren't you going to try and hit me? Knock me around? Get me to spill some of the water out of this cup? Because if you can knock the water out of the cup, air goes right back in. See, the devil likes it when you have doubt in your life. He wants that doubt to stay there. But when you start getting the Word of God in you, it starts filling you up with faith for that Word. So He needs to hit you with stuff. He doesn't back down because you're filled up with, with faith. No, no, we need to get that faith out. Let's chase that faith out. He starts hitting you with persecutions. He starts hitting you with storms, trials, tests. 
He starts throwing things at you to challenge that word. Has God really said? Here, in this book of Exodus, has God really said, I will deliver you? Has God really said, I'll take care of Pharaoh? Has God really said, I will lead you to a promised land? Has God really said that? Now, when Moses came down and he told the people, people, God appeared to me in a burning bush and he threw down the rod and he did the leprous hand thing and he poured the water out and it turned to blood. And they said, oh, wow, we've never seen anything like that. And they went from doubting God because up to now, they waited for 430 years for God to send a deliverer. They have Joseph's bones sitting, not being buried, but sitting right there to tell them, don't you bury my bones here. When God sends you to deliver and takes you out, you take my bones with you and you bury me in the promised land. So they see those bones all the time. But after a while, they begin to doubt. 400, it's been a long time. We've been staring at those bones. We've been hearing the stories, but nothing's going on. So they were filled with doubt. Then Moses comes and they have faith for it. And so faith enters in. And they have faith to believe what Moses has said that God will do. And then they get hit with no more straw. And what happens to the faith? It goes right out. And they come and they complain to Moses. It was better when you weren't here. Why did you come along and start doing all this sort of stuff? Moses is up on the mountain. He doesn't want to go. He is filled with doubt and unbelief. And God does a number of things and finally by the end of it, he's filled with faith. And faith is in him. He comes down to Jethro and Jethro says, go. He has the episode with Zipporah but he still keeps on going. He comes to the children of Israel. He speaks to them and they all believe. And he goes to the Pharaoh and all of a sudden everything is worse. And Moses went from having faith to going before God. Why did you send me? Things are worse, not better. And you have not delivered them the way that you said. Isn't that doubt? You didn't do what you said you were going to do. Well, wait a minute. Didn't God say He's not going to believe you right away? It's going to take a strong arm and in the end their eldest son will die? Didn't God say that? But they forgot all that. So now they're in the area of doubt and unbelief. Look at Moses' words again. Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? Did God bring it on them? No. The enemy brought it on them because he wants to shake the faith out of them. Why is it you have sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. Neither have you delivered your people at all. You don't hear any faith in that, do you? Chapter 6, verse 1. Then the Lord said to Moses, Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will let them go. And with a strong hand he will drive them out of his land. And God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But my name 
Lord, I was not known to them. I have also established my covenant with them to give them this land, the land of Canaan, the land of their pilgrimage in which they were strangers. And I have also heard the groaning of the children of Israel whom the Egyptians keep in bondage. And I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of Egypt. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Plural. Plural. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of Egypt. And I will bring you into the land which I swore to give to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And I will give it to you as a heritage. I am the Lord. See, God is patient. He renews Moses on the words spoken to him. So Moses spoke thus to the children of Israel, but they did not heed Moses because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. So when God speaks all this to Moses, Moses once again takes the cup. And what happens? He let all that faith leak out of him. He goes before God and God speaks this to him. And so Moses, he gets filled up with faith again. He's ready to go. He goes to the children of Israel. The children of Israel, they lost all their faith. They were in doubt, unbelief. Moses comes to him and speaks the words of God. And what do they say? I don't believe it. And they continued to try and face this battle with doubt and unbelief in them. Instead of what they were supposed to have. Now, one more, one more thing for us to, to, to see and to understand in this one. And um, uh, praise. Would you come up here for just a moment? Praise loves being in front of people, she told me. So I want to give her every opportunity I can. <laughs> now, you see praise being up here. And uh, the praise, I appreciate you coming on up. Um, w- why are you here? <laughs> are you here because I called you up? Yeah. Were you willing to come up? Yeah, she was, she was willing to come up. In fact, at any point in the service, if I would have called you, would you come up? Yeah. So notice this about praise. She is willing to come up at any time. But she didn't come up until I called her. Does that make sense to you? All right, you can sit down. Thank you. <laughs> she was willing to come up at any time. But she didn't do it until I called. God is willing to do the things we need Him to do. But it doesn't happen until you call for it. God is willing to save the ship from the storm. But it doesn't happen until somebody calls for it. Peace. Be still. God is willing for the leper to be cleansed. But it doesn't happen until somebody calls for it. God is willing to deliver the children of Israel from their bondage. But it doesn't happen until somebody like Moses came and called for it. 
God was willing for the city of Jericho to fall. But it doesn't happen until somebody calls for it. God was willing for the children of Israel to, to be delivered from the Midianites. But it didn't happen until someone like Gideon came along and called for it. God was willing to take a giant out like Goliath. But it didn't happen until David came along and called for it. Do you see the pattern? God didn't just become willing for Goliath to die. It's just that somebody decided to have faith in his word and called for it. We're not calling for things. We get the word from God and God says, I'm going to do this. Oh, glory to God. God's going to do this. I believe God's going to do this. I'm not just going to pull something out of hat. God's going to give me a better job. I believe God's going to give me a better job. He spoke to me in the night. He told me. He, he quickened these verses to me. He told me about these verses. I went there and sure enough, there they were. This is what they spoke to me. And I believe God. And He spoke this to me. He said, I'm going to do it. And he, 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 you say what He's going to do? I believe He's going to do it. And so then you get up the next day and you go to three places for a job interview and they all say no. And the water goes right out of the cup. Because you see, I think that because God called for it, it should just happen. It should just go about. But you see, if you get a word from God, you're in for a battle. And depending upon how strong that word is, will tell you how big of a battle you're in for. But you will not get a word from God in which you will not also get a battle. Jesus gave his disciples a word. He said, diseases will be subject to the name. Demon spirits will be subject to the name. He said, I want you to go out in my name and I want you to cast out every demon spirit and heal all manner of diseases. That's what he spoke to them about. And they went out and they cast out demons and they lay hands on the sick and they recovered. They were well, and they came back to Jesus and said, Master, even the demons are subject to us in your name. He said, don't marvel at this. Of course, marvel that your names are written in the book of life. But then they went out in Mark chapter 9, and they ran into that, that uh, guy. I brought my son to your disciples, and they could not cast them out. And they came to Jesus later and said, how come we couldn't cast them out? See, we had done this before because they faced a bigger battle. And we saw that when Jesus cast them out, this, this spirit thrashed that boy around and put on a show. And it said it looked like he was dead. That much, can you imagine being thrashed around that much that you look like you're dead? Maybe he was. They were in for a bigger battle in that one than they thought. And they, and they lost. See, when God speaks something to you, it doesn't mean that you just automatically win. Well, forfeit. Other team doesn't show up. No, that other team is showing up. They are not, they're not conceding the battle. They're not saying it's all over. They're ready for a fight. It says that they 
They didn't believe because of anguish of spirit and cruel bondage. How many of you have had anguish in your spirit or cruel bondage from some kind of sickness, disease, injury, whatever it might be? And it makes it difficult for you to believe. You're in the same boat as these Israelites. Same boat as them. Things got tough. Let's just throw this whole thing out. Let's go back to how it was. Sometimes people will say this too. Believe in God for healing from this thing. And when I started believing God, it got worse. It got worse. Might as well just go back and to how it was before. That's what the enemy wants you to do. Just go back, settle in how things were before. Don't you don't be trying to push for a change, make things better. Just be settled in. This is how it's going to be. But don't. Don't be settled in and this is how it's going to be. But just know, if God gives you a word, whether it's in His written word or He speaks something down to your spirit, there will be a battle. Sometimes that battle is even with other people who contend with you about what God said and whether you should do it. Whether it's valid or not. Well, I don't think God ought to be doing that. Well, that's not going to do any good. Have you ever had a word from God and God told you to do something and people came up in your life and said, well, that's not going to help. Makes you to get to the point where you just want to say, well, if God speaks to me, I'm not going to tell anybody. Yeah, I see some heads nodding. Yes, you've been, you've been in that place, huh? Some people, they just haven't been too respectful of what it is that God told you. And I just, I don't need to contend with them. I've got to contend with this. And you limit your battle. That's fine. Don't feel like you're not in faith. Well, the devil come over. You're not in faith because you're not out there telling those people about it. No, I'm not going to tell anybody else about this right now. I'm going to go out here and I'm going to do what God said. Now, Moses didn't have any choice. He had to tell some people about this because it involved other people. But if you've got a word and God has told you to do a particular thing, you focus in on that thing and do it and just know the enemy is going to come along and try to knock you, off your, knock you off your tracks. Get you to quit doing it. Get you so that you're not, you're not going in that direction anymore. Now, I, I share with you the story that I had that, you know, we started this thing off telling you about. And uh, I know most of you folks don't want to run. Don't care to run. Don't want to run unless somebody's chasing you. And even then you don't want to run. That's fine. You don't have to, I don't share it with you because the run is all that. It is for me. I enjoy it. But you may not enjoy it. And you're not believing God for that. But I, but I was. And God gave me the, the plan. Ended up being a three-stage I didn't know it was a three-stage plan at the time. I just did what he told me to do. I didn't say anything to anybody. I just went out there and did it. I didn't even feel like it was anything special. Just that, go ahead and do this. So I went ahead and did this. Now go ahead and do this. Went ahead and did it. Then another, the third stage was almost a year. Almost a year in that stage. Just doing what he, he said to do. But I had to keep coming back to it. Along the way, people are not going to respect what it is that God said for you to do. And then you have to decide. Do I listen to them or do I listen to God? If you want to know God's opinion on who you should listen to, you don't have to go outside this story. Look what happened on the wilderness. 
Moses decided, should I live, listen to God or should I listen to Zipporah? Which one did he choose? He chose Zipporah. Even when he left, he didn't get things right. He listened to his wife, Zipporah. And he got out there and she said, you're a husband of blood. He could have said to her, you almost got me killed, woman. <laughs> he could have said that. You almost got me killed. I told you years ago, this is what needed to happen. I don't know if he said that or not. <laughs> we don't have a whole lot of that conversation that went on. But you're going to have a choice to listen to other people or listen to what God said. You've got to listen to what God said to do. And just, you know, if God told you that no more carrots. If you were sleeping at night and God spoke to you in your spirit, no more carrots. I like carrots. Until you cook them. Once you cook them, I'd, I'd probably just leave them there. But I love raw carrots. I can, I can eat raw carrots dipped in the ranch stuff that they have or just by themselves. I love raw carrots, especially when all the work's done for you and they're peeled. You know, buy them in those little bags, little mini, little bite-sized carrots. And they're all peeled and all ready to go. I mean, you just sit there and pop them in your mouth. Man, they're good. I love that. But what if God came to me and said, Steve, no more carrots. And I went out there and I, I, uh, we, and Toe and I were having a conversation and said, God told me no more carrots. And she said, that's the most ridiculous thing I ever heard. <laughs> God would never tell you no more carrots. That's, that was not from God. And, and maybe she talked me out of it. And I say, oh, I guess it wasn't God. And I go ahead and eat carrots. And every time I'm eating carrots, I feel like, man, I'm missing God when I'm, when I'm doing this, but I really like carrots. Carrots are good for me. But we had that conversation with Intel. I'm not supposed to eat carrots. See, that's where the Word of God says, brethren, if your heart doesn't condemn you, you have peace with God. You see, if God spoke something to you, you know what you're supposed to do. Listen to Him. Don't listen to other people. Other people are going to try and tell you, don't bother, don't do it, get away, get away from it. But if you do it, it'll be good. That's, but you have to do it. You have to get out there and do it. When God speaks something to you, there will be fear to do the thing. How many of y'all know Moses heard from God in the burning bush, go back to Pharaoh. If, you, if Pharaoh wanted to kill you, that the people all over there rejected you as the deliverer, how many of you want to go back? How many of you are feeling like, uh-uh? No. We already tried that one. I got the t-shirt for that one. Did not work. Not going back to Egypt. Now they didn't heed Moses when he, he came and they spoke these things to him. Verse 10, And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Go in, tell Pharaoh king of Egypt to let the children of Israel go out of this land. And Moses spoke before the Lord saying, The children of Israel have not heeded me. How then shall Pharaoh heed me? For I am of uncircumcised lips. Then the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron, gave them a command for the children of Israel and for Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt. God sends them back to Pharaoh. He says, why in the world am I, you sending me back to Pharaoh? My own people who serve the same God don't listen to me. You think Pharaoh's going to listen to me? He says, no, but you go back. So then he goes back and he performs the signs that God gave him. 
There were three signs that God gave them. First off, the sign of the serpent. Secondly, the sign of the leprosy. And third, the sign of the water to wine. Or water to blood. That was the third sign. He was supposed to do those three. And then after that, God would give him some others that he would be doing. Until total, there would be total ten plagues. The blood was considered the first of the plagues. The snake and the leprosy were not considered to be part of the plagues. They were just signs. But the water, the blood, that was a, that was a plague. When he did it for Israel, it was a sign. When he did it before God for himself, it was a sign. But when he did it to Egypt, it was a plague because then it turned all the water to blood. When he did it as a sign, it just turned the water to blood that, he, that was there, that they saw. Now, when God speaks something to you, it may seem insignificant. It may seem small. It may seem, well, I don't know how this is going to do anything, but you got to do it. If till you do what God spoke to you to do first, he, He's not going to give you step number two. I want you to notice something inside this story. Moses had two signs and one plague when he went there. That's it. And until he does... All three, he doesn't get the next one. God's not going to speak anything more to you until you put to work what he first said. If you're out there and you're wanting to change something in the, in the natural for you, you want to change the way you're thinking, you want to change the way, um, it, the, you want to change something on your job, you want to change something about your body, whatever it might be that you want to change. If you want to bring about change, you go before God and say, God, give me wisdom on how to make this change. God gives you wisdom. And the first thing he gives you, you say, well, that's not going to, that's not going to help. You've despised the wisdom of God. Why is God going to give you anything more? No, what you do is you meet it with, with excitement. God has said to do this. And you may do something really small and insignificant. And you may face all kinds of persecution for that one small, insignificant thing. You think, holy cow. Why am I getting so much persecution for just giving up carrots? (laughs) All I did was give up carrots. I'm eating broccoli. I'm eating cauliflower. I just gave up carrots. And all the world hates me. Telling me, It's not going to work. I just gave up carrot. What happens if God tells me to do something else? But you see, I got to get ready for this. I got to prepare and know, all right, God, if I'm going to do this, I'm ready for the world to come after me. Come on, bring it on. And I get myself all psyched up. And if it doesn't come, hey, this is fine. But if it does, Then we're good. I think it was that that movie. How many people saw that uh, uh, one movie, Blindside? When they finally got him acting right and doing what he's supposed to do as a as a uh, offensive tackle, and he's out there, and he took the one guy and took him almost in the next week. I mean, just kept plowing him on down the field. And <laughs> do you remember that scene? And the next time they they lined up, that guy's scared. He's scared. He didn't want to. He didn't want to do nothing. He just he just went down on the ground. And so he's, he's ready for a battle and his, his opponent left. That's alright, he was ready for a battle. The battle just never showed up. It's better to be prepared for a battle 
that no one shows up for, then not be prepared for it and get knocked on your feet. You get ready, the devil's coming after you, somebody's coming after you, somehow, whatever words you got, everything is coming after you to get that thing out. And you just said, I'm not going to be discouraged, I'm not going to be set back, I'm not going to stop what God said to do. If God said give up carrots, by golly, I'll give up carrots. And I'll love it. You gotta be, you gotta be ready for a battle. Now Moses, after this time, he finally gets ready for the battle. He finally realizes, God, it's you and me on this thing. And Aaron, that's about it. The rest of them, they probably don't want to, they aren't coming along. I imagine Joshua and Caleb were along on their side. I'm sure they're saying, don't listen to these people. We're with you, Moses. <laughs> we're ready. Let's go. Uh, we don't care. We got beat up today. It's alright. I'll, I'll get beat up again tomorrow. But we're going to get out of here. God's going to come through. They were ready. Get yourself set. Because if the enemy knows that he can throw you. Now over the last number of times, I, I share with you some of the hard times that I had. I'd rather not, like I told you, I'd rather not share any of that with anybody. I'd rather just go through it and just uh, overcome it and just go. But it was important to, to let you know that you're going to face some stuff. And uh, I'll let you know back in, in March, if you remember that, that uh, there were two weeks in there, the most difficult times I had to run ever in my entire life. I never remember having this much difficulty running or where running was not the highlight of the day. I dreaded, I got to put them shoes on, I got to go out there and I got to run. And everything in my body rebelled against it because of a number of other things. I was already, at that point, I was already running a good bit, but um, there was a, just other stuff that had come up. And I, every day I still took myself out there. This is what I need to do. There were a couple of times in, in there I got out in the run. I got four miles out. I couldn't finish it. Could not finish it. Had to walk back. In, in great agony. Walking back. But the next day, strapped on the shoes again. Went on out there and did it. The most difficult two weeks of running I have ever had. But then it opened up. See, sometimes you need that little dark, dark time. I'll tell you what, it opened up. And in April, I went past, for the first time, the, th the third stage that God told me, five to six miles a day. First time I went past that stage. And I went from a steady 125 miles a month to 145 in April. And in May... I went from 145 miles to 167. And then I went from 167. And in June, I went to 187 miles in the month. Here in this month, I will easily, without, I, I'm almost there right now, I will easily break 200 miles. But I tell you, it all goes back to that one time in March, that two weeks. I didn't realize it at the time. It just was the worst week I have ever had in my entire life to run. I was coming back off of the flu. That was a, a whole lot of it. There were drugs that were involved to try and uh, curtail some things. There were a whole lot of things. But I kept what God said. God, this is what you said. This is what you said. And I focused on it. I will get it done. I will get it done. Two weeks of that. And then it just opened up. Just know when you go through a really big battle, 
on whatever it is that God spoke to you about, it will break out. Moses is, going, is, is embarking upon a huge battle. But now he is ready to take it on. You can never empty the cup. All you can do is change what the cup contains. Does the cup contain faith in what God said? Or does the cup contain doubt? The enemy wants to knock the faith out. Just know God will lead you into a place where opposition will be present. Even great opposition at times. Don't be surprised. Don't be surprised by it. Prepare yourself for it. All right, if God has spoken to me, that means God says that what I'm believing for can happen. Because He spoke to me about it. He wouldn't have spoken to me about it if it couldn't happen. So if God spoke to me about it, that means it can happen. And here's what i got to do. But i got to keep faith in that. And the enemy is always trying to knock that faith out of the cup. Hit you with everything he can hit you with. With Israel, they hear from Moses, Oh yeah, yeah, we believe that. They hear from Pharaoh, Well, we don't believe that anymore. Quickly changed it. Oh, so quickly they changed. you got to prepare for a battle. And just know, when you face that opposition head on, it changes you. It changes you from one who has been victimized to one who is a victor. It will change you into a winner. And you will win whatever battle it is that you face. You will win it when you keep faith in the cup. Would y'all stand up with me? Glory to God. Father, I thank you that you have given us the ability to hold faith. We also have the capacity to hold doubt and unbelief. But you can fill us up with faith as we decide to believe your word as we decide to trust in you, as we hear what word that you spoke to us and we say, I choose to believe that. When we do that, we change the battle. The enemy is used to knocking us around and taking that faith fight right out of us. Father, you've called us to be victors, to be winners. And just like Moses, you have a path for him to win. Thank you, Father, for the path that you gave us to be winners. Whatever it is we face in life, whether it's something in the natural, something with our bodies, something with our minds, something with our job, something in our families, whatever it might be, You have wisdom to take us along the path to win. And we have spiritual ears to hear. Once we hear that word, it's our choice. 
to believe it or to let it go. The children of Israel picked it up. They believed it, but they so quickly let it go. Moses let it go too, but he picked it back up again. And you paint for us here in this book of Exodus a picture of a God who's not frustrated with us, not mad with us, but understands that it takes a little while sometimes relearn this pattern and to stay in the area of faith. Just as you were patient with Moses, just as you kept reteaching the disciples, you keep reteaching us. You renew us on the vision, renew us on the direction that you have. Glory to God. Victory is out there for us. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Over the weeks, a number of people have raised their hands, situations they're speaking to, situations they needed wisdom on. Don't quit. Don't back down on this fight. Just know the enemy does not want you to have it, so it must be good. God wants you to have it. But you have to call for it. If you don't call for it, it won't come. But your God has empowered you to do these things. Glory to God. Well, Father, we thank you that you have empowered us. Thank you for your your help. Then not only are we going to change our lives, but we're going to change the lives of those we encounter and those we meet. I thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, glory to God. Before we go, Daryl was thanking the Lord for a vacation time. And he was praising God that this year they owed no taxes. <laughs> that is a good thing. Next week we have our picnic. We look forward to this... Uh, every year to um, to have that going on and um, you can come and picnic clothes if you want to thank you if you don't want to come and picnic clothes you can bring other clothes with you to change into if you want to stop at home and get changed that's okay too stop at home but when you get to the house you must be wearing picnic attire Because we want you to be relaxed. We want you to have some fun. The pool will be open. We will have a baptismal service to start. If anyone wants to get baptized, please let me know. And we will, we will get you in on that. But uh, bring some salad. Bring some desserts. Because if you don't bring any salads, any desserts won't be there. <laughs> Connie and I, we're, we're getting the, the hot dogs and the hamburgers and the stuff for the grill. The meats we'll have all the meats up on there. So you don't take care of any meats. All the meats will be there. Everybody will have a piece of... A leg of chicken. But, um, no, but bring, if you want some salads, you got to bring them. If you bring salads with olives in them, celery, I will not eat those. Don't put it on a plate and say, Pastor, try this. I will not eat it. If you like olives, then you eat it. My wife loves olives. 
I despise them. But anyway, find some people you can bring out to church with you next week. And say, hey, come on out to church with us and then come along with a picnic. Because we've got plenty of room. Now, it does help that you bring some chairs. Because we have a lot of chairs. But don't we, we don't have enough chairs. So we have some chairs there. If you're coming and say, I don't have any chairs, that's fine, come on along. But if you're coming along and you say, I have two chairs, bring two chairs. If you can come along, you have four chairs, bring four chairs. <laughs> bring some chairs along, get some people to sit on down. Or if you can just, you can just plan on sitting on the side of the pool, putting your feet in the water, and enjoying yourself. That's fine too. Just know you will get splashed. And if you, if you get mad at people splashing you, that's, that's silly. You're by a pool. As Brother Hagin used to say, you can't play around a mud hole without getting dirty, without falling in. This is going to happen. If you're going to play around a pool, you're going to get wet. That's, we, we love to have the, the fun with everybody. We go to about 7 o'clock at night. If you can't stay all the way up until 7, that's fine. Go when you have to. If you, you need to leave by 4 or something like that, then you just uh, you know, make sure your car's parked in the spot where you can get out at 4 o'clock and you can go. And we just uh, love to have you for the time that you can be there. You can be there until 5, be there until 5. You have to go at a certain time, you just go when you can. If you can't quite get there when we start, you have to go home and take care of some things, go home and take care of some things. Come on back, we'll give you the address. It's real easy to find. Not far from here at all. And we uh, look forward to having you come on out.